Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Our Father, we thank you for your holy written Word that unveils to us the living Christ. As we approach it, we do so with reverence and humility, inviting the Holy Ghost to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, and to instruct us in all that is true, and to quicken us according unto your word that we, dear Father God, would rise up as doers of the word, not hearers only, experiencing reality with you, dear Father God, in our lives. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to proclaim with boldness and accuracy the knowledge of the truth that makes men free. For all that's accomplished, we'll give all thanks, praise, honor, and glory to you, knowing that your word will not return void in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We've been talking a whole lot about the love of God, and that is God's love towards us, and how it can be understood and seen as clearly demonstrated in the fact that he gave his only begotten son to die for us, to give his life for us so that we'd have life. And our purpose and objective is to help us understand that God is on our side. Very often many think that God is against them. That He is the one to blame for their problems and difficulties or situations that they encounter in life. And they try to interpret His love by their circumstances. We said God's love can't be seen by a person's circumstances. And that's not a proper way to understand God's love or to know God's love. We know God loves us based on what He did for us. Based on the fact that He is love and He cares for us. And we talked about the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of His love. And we defined all that as being God's breath of love extends to the whole world, not just the United States of America, but every nation, every kindred, every tongue, all people. The length of God's love was demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ when He became a man. God becoming a man is a, an act of love, a tremendous revelation as to what length God would go in order to tell us that He loves us, to communicate that love, and then to actually demonstrate it by the laying down of His life. And Jesus says, greater love has no man than this. The depth of His love is seen in the fact that He bore our sin and paid the punishment that sin merited in damnation. Taking our place, being our substitute. And just to be blunt about it, he went to hell for us and suffered there so we wouldn't have to. No deeper love can be found than that. And then the height of God's love, we clearly showed in Scripture, is seen in the fact of his resurrection and our being raised together with him to be seated with him in the heavenly places. You can't get any higher than that. He made us one with Himself, enabling us to share in His authority, His glory, and His power. And that's the love of God in its highest point. How can you get any higher than that in love? Amen? 
So those are the endless dimensions of God's love. And then in connection with that, now that was what he did for us, past tense, but in connection with that, we didn't stop there. We want to see it relevant to our lives today in a practical sense, in a practical way. I want to know God's love and sense God's love for me now. It's all based on what he did, but there is a definite, genuine manifestation of it right now in my life. It continues. It's not something that happened and then it ends. Its effect ends. It is something that happened that makes a highway for God to continue to lavish us with his love. To demonstrate that love in a practical way on a day-by-day basis. And Paul the Apostle, teaching as he writes to the church at Rome, said in verse 31, What shall we then say to these things of God before us who could be against us? And picking it up from there, reading right on through verse 39, we talked about this on Wednesday, and I'm just going to highlight it. Again, I suggest that you get the tape because it will absolutely bless your heart. But I'm just going to highlight it. It shows us how even now God loves us still and He is on our side. He is not the cause of our problem. He's not the one who, you know, causes problems in our lives or wants us to go through particular problems. We have an enemy out there who is against us that wants these things to happen to destroy our relationship with God. But God is overwhelming in His love toward us. And if God before us, who could be against us? And what Paul was saying was that if God's on our side, no enemy can defeat us. And this is the mindset he wants us all to develop. God loves me and he is on my side. God loves me. He's on my side. I don't blame him for any part of the problem. He is not the problem in my life. And nothing I encounter as being difficult in life comes from him. He loves us. He cares for us. Just as a mother holds her newborn babe in her arms and says, I love you, I care for you, I'm there for you. The mother is not the cause of that child's problems as that child begins to grow up. The mother loves that child and cares for that child and wants to help that child. Knowing that that child will encounter difficulties and hard places in life, she still loves that child. And as hard as it may seem, even in times of rebellion, the mom and dad still love the child. They may not be pleased with some of the actions, but they still love the child. And I'm telling you, beloved, God loves you. And even though Adam blew it royal in his rebellion, God still loved mankind and sent his son to die. Can you see God is constantly pouring his love out toward us, constantly moving toward us in love? He loves us. He's not the cause of our problem. He's our problem solver. Amen. So God is for us. Who could be against us? And then in the next verse, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, Paul was stating that God giving Jesus was the supreme demonstration of God's love. Such a miraculous manifestation of love. But the supreme demonstration of his love. Well, if that's true, then compared to Jesus, all other gifts or blessings are of lesser proportion. Wouldn't you agree? And if that be true, then it must also be true that they are freely bestowed. Or they are certain of free bestowment. If God gave Jesus the highest supreme demonstration of his great love, and all other blessings or gifts or graces are of lesser proportion, how can he withhold those things from him? Why would he? 
He gave me the greatest. Obviously, he'll give us the lesser. I like to say it this way. Included in the greatest of all gifts is the lesser. In other words, they're one and the same. They all come in the same package. They're all part of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so, to prove that, this is what he said. In verse 32, he that spared out his own son, he said, he said this, he spared not. And what that means is he didn't withhold one particle of punishment. All the punishment that was due Jesus was poured out upon him. And God did not withhold one particle of it. He spared not. You might spare your child some grief and heartache and pain by doing something for that child in life. But God did not withhold one particle of punishment. He spared not his son. His full wrath was poured out upon him, and he suffered the full consequence of man's sin. But delivered him up for us all. We said it wasn't Judas who delivered up Jesus for money. It wasn't the Jews who for fear delivered up Jesus. It wasn't Pilate, rather, who through fear. And it wasn't the Jews who through envy delivered up Jesus. None of those things, those things happened, but none of those things were the reason. God the Father delivered up Jesus through love, for love. Because He loves us, He delivered Him up for us all. So God knew what punishment Jesus would have to endure. He knew He would be turned over to the powers of darkness. And Jesus said Himself, your hour has come, the power of darkness. I'm yours. Oh, I could call a legion of angels if I wanted to. But as an act of my will, I turn myself over to you and your fierce powers. And he did. And the Father delivered him up for us all. And the latter part of that is for us all. He did that for me individually. And that expression for us all means individually. He delivered Jesus over to the enemy for you and for me. He did it individually, personally. He did it for me. Say that. He did it for me. Now, if God did that, then Paul says, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? How is it possible for God to withhold a blessing? And beloved, may I add to this something that I didn't say on Wednesday night I think that's very important? If God were to withhold a blessing from us, I believe He would be doing an injustice to Jesus, His Son. I believe He would be slapping Him in the face. I made you suffer the entirety of punishment. I delivered you up to the enemy. This all came upon you so that people would be saved and blessed fully. Now, for me to withhold a blessing from the people would be dealing him an injustice. Can you see that? How many of you can see that clearly? It would be an injustice. Dealt to Jesus. Because he suffered that punishment for us. And now we are blessed. And for God not to bless us would be undermining His own work. It would be denying Himself the demonstration of His love in a practical way. Why would God begin loving us so dearly and end up by saying, Well, I was really only fooling. I don't really want to bless you like this. God is not withholding any part of his love because he withheld not one particle of punishment upon Jesus. And so, beloved, next time you say, Abba, Father, 
you can say, I know you love me. You know, my feelings may tell me otherwise. My circumstance may dictate otherwise. But I've been taught and I have a sound mind. And I know you love me with a love that's beyond my ability to comprehend. But I see it in my heart. You have overwhelmed me with the greatest love demonstrated, you know, upon mankind. And now I know you don't want to withhold one blessing from me. You long to love me like the mother longs to bless that child. And to care for me like the parents long to care for that newborn babe. You long to lavish your love upon me. And I know that. I see that. You care for me. You're on my side. You're with me. You're for me. You're in me. You see what mindset he wants to develop in these people. He wants them to see this loving father the way he truly is. Caring. Concerned. But one who made absolute provision, total provision for us. He goes on to say, who can lay anything in verse 33 to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Notice we are God's elect in Christ. Did you get that? We are God's elect in Christ. God sees us as his own elect. Very special people. God is the one who justified us. Jesus is the one that died for us. Now listen carefully. And is seated at the Father's right hand right now, ever living to make intercession for us. He is actively right now fulfilling his high priestly duties, interceding for us at the Father's right hand. Seeing to it that all of our prayer requests receive special attention before the throne of God. And when you say, Father, I have a need, Jesus is right there to represent you before the Father to make certain that your need gets special attention in the throne of God. At the throne of grace. That's why we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Amen. Come boldly to the throne of grace. To obtain mercy. And find grace to help. To assist us. In our time of need. Not because we're special. In ourselves. But we're special in Christ. His elect in Christ. Can you see that? What a loving relationship. What a marvelous mindset to develop. I can go to my father and say, I, Father, come boldly. Looking for mercy and grace based on Jesus. Not my life, but based on the life of Christ. I come to you. And I'm assured that my, my request will receive your special attention because Jesus is my mediator. He is my high priest and he is representing me right now. Oh, isn't that wonderful to know? Marvelous. And then, I just love this portion. He goes on to say, Who shall separate us from the love of God, uh, love of Christ? That's verse 35. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or perilous sort? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Now, people thought that that expression not was coined in our generation. No, it's right here. Nay, in modern vernacular, is not. That's what he meant. That's what he said. Well, shall persecution not? That's what he said. Shall distress or tribulation not? But see, they just said nay. And the answer is no. It can't do it. What can separate us from this great love that was once demonstrated in Christ and continues to be demonstrated on a day-by-day basis in a practical way by our loving Father? What can separate us? Can any of these problems of life? No. That's the answer. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And don't stop there. Through him that what? 
loved us is in the past tense because what it means is this. No matter what enemy comes our way, found in the act of God having loved us in Christ is victory over every enemy. That is in, in what Jesus did, past tense, loving us, dying for us, suffering for us, all that Having loved us is found victory in all these present things we encounter in life. And so no matter what foe comes my way, nay, he says, in all those things, I am more than a conqueror through the love that was demonstrated for me in Christ. That's why it's loved us. Doesn't mean he stopped loving us, but that was God loving us in Christ past tense. You know, when he did all that for us and now as a result, he continues to love us today. In a practical way by making us more than conquerors over all those things that oppose us in life. And then he tells us how far reaching this love is. Now we already saw the breadth, the length, the depth and the height of God's love. But you know what? We didn't see the breadth, length, depth and the height of uh, the opposition. But right here, the the Apostle Paul reveals it. In verse 38, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life. Nor angels nor principalities. Nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. He is now expressing or revealing the endless dimensions, if you will, of opposition arrayed against us. Whatever it is in the realm of human experience or life, whatever it is that comes against us is no match for the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. No dimensions of space. No dimensions of time. And when he says any other creature, nor any other creature, you know what it really means? It means any other creation. In other words, in the future, in the ages to come, there are, we can't be separated from the love of God even by another creation. Nothing has the ability to separate us from the love of God that we have right now in our hearts. That God has... Bestowed upon us in the person of Jesus Christ. No height, no depth, no other creation or creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that kind of puts it all together, doesn't it? God has loved us with an endless love. And no matter what comes our way, it is impossible for those things to separate us from that love. And so, beloved, no matter what your situation is today... You are loved of and by God. Past tense, he made provisions for your victory. Present tense, go boldly to the throne of grace and Jesus will represent you to the Father and provide the mercy and grace you need to get over, to be put over, to be free. Now, let's continue our study. Go on to the book of Psalms. Psalm 84. One of the most prevailing attributes of love is giving. Isn't that true? God so loved the world, He what? He gave His only begotten Son. So giving is one of the most important attributes of love, for love gives. Our Father God is a giving God. He is constantly pouring Himself out in a giving way. Wanting to bless anyone who comes into contact with Him. So He is constantly reaching out 
to all humanity and all mankind to demonstrate this love that no one can be separated from making, to make it practical in their lives. In verse 11 of Psalm 84, we read, For the Lord our God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Notice, the Lord will give. Grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold. Didn't the Apostle Paul say, How shall he not freely with him also give us all things? No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now that does indicate or imply that if we shut off, shut ourselves off from the blessings we can by not walking uprightly, we understand that. I mean, that's... Common sense knowledge, isn't it? But God in Himself does not stop the giving. He doesn't withhold any good thing. But a person can take himself out from beneath the grace of God. And we'll explain that as we go further. But the, but the thought here is this. Our God, who is the eternal possessor of heaven and earth, He owns all the silver and gold and cattle on a thousand hills, we are told. It all belongs to Him, and we know that. Well, He is a loving God, a loving Creator, a loving Father, whose deep desire is to bless humanity, and in particular, His children. He is disposed to do favors. He longs to bless people, to give to people. It's His heart's desire and nature to give, because He is a giving God. Notice here it says that He gives grace. And He gives glory just as the sun gives off its light. It gives off... What is the sun? We understand it to be a luminous celestial body. And what does it do? It constantly or continuously gives off energy, light, heat. And it provides life for us here upon this planet. We know that. It's a definite fact. Without the sunlight, we'd all die eventually. And so we need the light, the energy, and the heat that comes from the sun. Well, our God is a sun and shield. He is constantly in the mode of giving, pouring out Himself just like the rays of the sun. You know, it's said that we live in the armpit of America. You didn't know that. In other words, right here where we live in this area, we receive the least amount of sunlight. Anywhere in the nation. Why is it? All, I mean, we get a sunny day and what do we do? Everybody's, oh. I mean, they're walking around like, the, the sun's out today. Well, now you know why. You live in the armpit of America. That's why. And it's, it's recorded that we receive the least amount of sunlight than anywhere. Believe me, sunny days. Recorded in, throughout the whole nation. But you see, does that mean the sun has stopped shining? Does that mean that the sun has stopped giving off its rays, its love rays, its energy rays, its light rays, its heat rays, its life-giving rays? Has it stopped? Just get up on a plane. Get up above the clouds. You'll find out that the sun is still shining. God doesn't stop. He is a sun. And as the Son He gives, God so loved He gave, He gives life. He gives light. He gives love. 
He gives joy. He constantly is giving grace and glory. As a shield, he gives protection. He sees to it that he protects his own. Just as it is instinctively in the wildlife kingdom, they protect their own. Just as it is we who love our children protect our own. The Father loves us. And as a loving Father, He constantly provides the, the, the life that we need and the, the power that we need, the grace that we need, and the protection that we need to be secure in a hostile environment. He is constantly giving of Himself. Always giving. Well, thank God for His love and His desire to give. But what does He give? What is His good pleasure to give? Well, beloved, we know that He gave His only begotten Son because He loves us. But did you also know it's His good pleasure to give us His kingdom? Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 11 and verse 32. Jesus came once again to reveal the very Father heart of God and to share with us the intimacies of His Father's heart. And in verse 32 of chapter 11, Luke's gospel, and to put it in context from verse 22, he's talking about our lives and not being full of concern and worry and anxiety and fretting. Be at peace, in other words. Your life is more important than what you eat and drink and what, you're, what you wear on your body. He talks about how God clothes the flowers of the field and feeds the, the birds, the fowls of the air. And he says, none of you can add one cubit to your stature by worrying about yourself. And then he goes on and he says in verse 32, after he says in 31, seek the kingdom. But verse 32, he says, look, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure. The father God who loves us, who cares for us, it's his good pleasure. One does not have to twist the father's arm. Luke eleven thirty two. It's his good pleasure to give us. Twelve thirty two. I'm sorry. I said eleven. Nay. It's the Father's good pleasure, thank you. It's his good pleasure. I said it's his good pleasure. You don't have to twist his arm. You don't have to beg Him. Who of you were here, you, you went around saying, I want God to give me His kingdom. Who said that? If anything, the devil said, I want your kingdom and I want more. I want what you have and I want above it all. Didn't he? Didn't he say that? Absolutely. But you see, when it comes to His dealings with us, His children, He says, it's my good pleasure. It's my yearnest desire. It's my longing intent to give to you my glory, my life, my grace, and my kingdom. I'm giving it all to you. And that's His good pleasure to give to His children. That's the kind of God that He is. And you kind of couple that with what Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 19. And if it's wrong, just bear with me. Matthew 16, 19. Jesus speaking to Peter. 
and says, I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom. Now, what good is it to give us the kingdom if he doesn't give us the keys to go with it? Right? Right. It's like saying, son, I give you that car. The doors are locked and there's not a key. Huh? Your son's 16 years old. He wants to drive a car now. And you say, son, that car is yours. It belongs to you. It's all locked up. And there's not, a, there's not a, a locksmith in the world that can provide a key for it. Can't get in. What good is it? The father says, it's my good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. It's my good pleasure to give you my kingdom. And he says, Peter, I'm also going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And what that is saying is this. We're so intimate in our relationship with the Father and He trusts us so much. We have the keys. We can enter into His presence boldly and use the key that unlocks the door to eternal life. Do you know that? You preach to someone the gospel and tell them that the key is the name of Jesus. And there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby one must be saved. The name was given. The name is Jesus. That's the key. And if they use that key, they can unlock the door to eternal life. And what will happen to them? They'll be born again. Well, let's not stop there. Let's realize that God has a big key ring. Right? And a lot of different keys, as he told Peter here. I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. You can get that key and say, I unlock the door to peace. In my life. And you can tell some other brother and sister, why are you so flustered? Why are you so frustrated? Why are you so, are you so worried about life? Don't you know you have the key to peace? It's God's good pleasure to give it to you and you can use it. You can take that key and unlock the door to peace and you can take another key and you can lock the door to what? Anxiety, worry, frustration, fretting, all that stuff can be locked out of our lives. You have the keys to the operation of the kingdom of God. Can you see that? You have the healing key. You have the key to deliverance. You have the key to strength, supernatural strength. You say, I do, yes. Where is that found? Philippians 4 and 13 says it clearly. I can do all things to Christ, who is the strength of my life. And when I make that statement boldly before God, boldly before life itself and all the demons of hell, there is an impartation of the strength of God. For they that wait upon the Lord shall renew or exchange their strength. I give up mine for His. Isn't that wonderful? I have His strength. I have his mental stability, for I have the mind of Christ. See, and we have the key to unlock that door so that we can walk in the fullness of that possession and the full realization of all that is ours because he has given us the kingdom. So it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom and the keys that go with it. So whatever else you need, beloved, you've got the key. You hold the key. All you've got to do is use it. It was your father's good pleasure to give it to you. You see what kind of mindset that develops in the believer? You mean I can shut the door to that bad habit? Yes, you can. You can lock that door. You have the ability to do so because 
You're operating in God's ability, not your own. You can do all things through Christ, who is the strength of your life, who infuses inner strength into your innermost being to make you equal to any task that you face in life. A more literal translation of Philippians 4 and 13. We all have that. Whether or not we use it, of course, is up to us, isn't it? Amen. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of James. And we'll further comment on God's giving nature. He loved us past tense, but he also loves us present tense and continues to give because giving is a major manifestation of God's love. And in James chapter 1, very often we discover or find out that in life we need wisdom in difficult situations. We need direction. We need the ability to act upon accumulated knowledge so that we can have a proper outcome in our lives. And since God has all that knowledge, we can go to Him, especially in times of adversity and trouble or or conflict or tribulation or persecution or whatever these things may be that come our way that may befall us. We can go to God counting it all joy because we know that we can look to Him for wisdom. And in verse 5 of James 1, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, then let him ask of God that giveth. God, our Father, is a giving God who gives to all men. He gives grace and glory. He gives wisdom, which is essential, which is to be desired above silver and gold, we are told. We're to seek after it. With tremendous intensity so that we can operate in a practical way in our society so as to overcome all the obstacles and hindrances that we face in life. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth. Now here, that giveth or who gives has the meaning of in the Greek continual giving or continuous giving. God, like the Son, is giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. He is constantly pouring Himself out in love, giving of Himself, so that we can receive from Him that which is essential and necessary to be victorious in life. And if we lack wisdom, just ask of God because He is constantly giving wisdom. Constantly giving deliverance. Constantly giving strength. Constantly giving peace. He is constantly giving. And so I want us to see Him that way. He is our giving, loving Father. Now notice He gives to all men. It's essential that we know that God is not a respecter of persons. Oh, yes, you got that wisdom because you asked God for it. He gave it to you. But his answer to me was no. That's not true. God is no respecter of persons. He gives to all men. Jesus died for all men. God loves us. It's his desire to give us the keys to the kingdom. All of us, every one of us. And in Jesus, he has already done that. And Jesus has been made to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And all we've got to do if we find ourselves in a hard place is to go to Him, no matter who we are, and take out that key to wisdom and unlock that door and say, Father God, I know that You give it. I'm here to receive it. And I thank You for it. 
And God the Father, who is always in the process of giving continuously, will see to it that that wisdom is imparted to our lives so that our steps are properly ordered before Him. He will always do that to all men. So He's not a respecter of person. He doesn't limit Himself in that regard. Also, I believe James was reiterating something that Jesus told him way back when. This is the brother of our Lord. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. To him that asketh, receive it. Him that seeketh, find it. Right? Or to him that asketh, it shall be given him. God is always in the process of giving continuously. And to him that asketh, he gives. So ask and it shall be given. And that's exactly what James was reiterating. Jesus told him. Jesus taught him that. He remembered that. Ask and it shall be given. So God gives to all men. It's those who ask receive that receive that it's given to. So in other words, if you're living in Pennsylvania and it's so cloudy, just get out from beneath the clouds and go somewhere where the sun is shining. The sun is still giving. And that's what we've got to learn to do in a sense. Come out from beneath the clouds of what? Confusion and anxiety and stop right there and say, I'm not going to allow my mind to be clouded with all that. I'm going to get into the sunshine of his love and bask in that for a while and just soak in the wisdom of God. Do you see that? And that sunlight of his love will penetrate your heart and mind. God's peace will act as an umpire in your heart and give you the direction that you need in life. And you'll make a right decision in your life. You'll take a right course of action. So he gives to all men liberally. Notice the next part, liberally. And the word has two meanings. First of all, liberally means abundantly or generously. When God gives, he gives a generous portion. Like my grandma. One day she said, Billy, I made, I was just a little boy. And he said, Billy, I made you some spaghetti. What else? And she, she, she loved to fill everybody's plate. She loved to overflow everybody's plate. I looked at that plate and got scared. I thought to myself, I will definitely explode if I consume all that she put on that plate. How many know grandmas are like that? They love to see you eat, especially when they cook it. They just love to see you eat. She gave liberally, generously, abundantly. She'd bring me jars of meatballs, just filled up, just jars filled up with meatballs. And she wouldn't be satisfied till they were all gone, even if they were coming out the ears. She just loved to see people eat. Just loved to, 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 to watch people enjoy her ability to cook. See? And she just constantly saw to it that she, you know... God, anybody, it didn't matter who you were. If you brought a friend over, look out. She'd get you, corner you. First time my wife met her, she chased her around the table, made her sit down and eat ravioli. Chased her around the table, said, you're going to eat this, this ravioli. She did. I'm telling you. That's exactly the, the kind of heart she had. That's, that's just how she was. It made her happy. And what I'm saying is it makes God happy. Do you see, we don't see it that way. That's right. That's right. He, he joys in this. 
We think we're trying to pull his teeth to get a blessing, you know. No. No, it's just the opposite. He's trying to pull our teeth to take one. I can't bless them down there. See? They're under the cloud of confusion. I'm trying to break through. I'm going to bless them so much. That's how we should view it. Liberally means abundantly, generously. You recall, and look at John's Gospel, chapter 6. You recall when Jesus was responsible for feeding the people? Or took it, let's say it this way, he took the responsibility upon himself. They were hungry. He had taught them. There was no food except the boys' lunch. John's Gospel, chapter 6. Verse 9, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000 men. That's just men. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as many as they would. Now, to some it means many. Because some eat more than others. When they were filled, you ever push yourself away from grandma's table? And if someone sticks a pin in you, you will definitely explode. When they were filled. Jesus fed the multitudes. Yes, we marvel at the miracle because of uh, the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. And he overrode the law of supply and demand. We understand that, beloved. He not only fed them, he filled them till they were all satisfied. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above. When God gives, He fills you, and then you have leftovers over and above. Now, I'm not talking about food here, beloved. We're talking about God blessing you. You want to know why your cup runs over? Because God is the one who wants it to run over. He wants you filled and overflowing with His love, His goodness, and His blessings. He wants that for your life. He wants that for my life. I'm going to show that to you in another scripture. Go on to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. Beginning at verse 1. This was demonstrated more than one time. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, and verse 1, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. 
Let's stop right. And have taken nothing. Let's stop right there for a minute. Believe me, they were skilled in their profession. And they did work all night because that's the best time to go fishing. In the morning when the sun is up and all that, it's not a wise thing to do to go out there and try to catch some fish. And, and they knew that. And so they toiled all night long with the boats out there and all the nets out there to try to get these fish. That was their livelihood. That's how they provided for their families. And you know how important that is. Jesus borrowed Peter's boat. And I'm sure he figured, well, I'll just let the rest of the guys work cleaning the nets and all that. He launches out a little bit so that people could hear him better. And when Jesus gets done using the boat of Peter, he said, now, Peter, let down your nets, plural, for a draft. And what does Peter say? Master, we have told all night, all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the what? The what? Net. What does it say? What did Jesus say to let down? What did they let down? All right. You're going to be ready for this one. And when they had this done, they closed enclosed the great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, from a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto them, unto Simon, fear not, from thenceforth thou shalt catch men. But the point being is this. They, Jesus borrowed the boat. And Jesus said, let down your nets. It was his desire to repay Peter abundantly. You say, how? This was their livelihood. He knew Peter would follow him. I believe there was enough there to provide many years. For his family. God doesn't do things half-heartedly. And the others also. Because someone might say, well, how did Peter take care of his family? I believe there was enough in that draft right there. Can you imagine? They might still be working on it right now. <laughs> do you see how loving he is? Do you see how giving God is? They had to finally come with more nets and everything else. And, and they, still the boats were going to sink. Yeah, they took, he took care of them. He took care of them. God took care of them. That's the kind of God we serve, beloved. He gives over and above, just like he fed them till they were full and then gave over and above. So whatever we need, he gives. But he gives more than, than we even need, more over and above. That's the kind of God he is. But most importantly, this word liberally, it has another meaning. It means without reservations. It means without secret motives. It means without fault finding, and it means without judgmental thoughts about us. You know, very often when you go to God in prayer and you want to ask Him something, you shrink back from it because you think, oh, He's going to find fault with me. Oh, He knew what I did the other day and He's going to judge me on that. You know, maybe He just wants me to do this or He's going to say this or whatever because He has some ulterior motive, some secret motive and intent of heart. No, God wants us to have that eradicated from our mindset. 
He wants us to know that he gives liberally without fault finding, without judgmental thoughts, without criticisms. He gives without ulterior motives. He gives because he loves us. And he cares for us. And just as your child asks you at a particular moment for something that is dear to that heart or essential to the life, you don't bring up all the past things that they've done wrong if they're in dire need of your help. You help them because they belong to you, because they're your own. And you care for them. And that's how God is. Go on, to, if you would, please, to 1 Kings chapter 3. You know that Solomon messed up. How many of you know Solomon messed up? Royal. Yes, he did. But there was a time when he went to God and asked for something, and God blessed him immeasurably. Even though he may have known, now, I'm not going to question everything about this, but he may, may not or may have known about what he was going to do, but God doesn't find fault with us. God does not upbraid us for asking him. He doesn't think, well, if I give you this wonderful thing a week from now, you're going to, to mess up everything. He takes us at the moment, seeing our need in our heart, and loves us and longs to bless us and gives to us, because that's the kind of God that He is. He gives liberally to all men without fault finding, without bringing up your past sins or faults or mistakes. He wants that to be made clear to us because that keeps people from, from going to Him in prayer and asking Him for things. Now listen carefully. In 1 Kings 3, 5. And Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept from him this... For him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of uh, David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give. This is what he asked for. Therefore, thy servant, an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given... Thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which that thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways, here is a condition, to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father did walk then I will lengthen thy days. God gave him what he asked for, and he gave him over and above what he asked for, because he asked for wisdom, a discerning heart. You know, too often we target wrong areas. I remember, before I've ever read this passage of Scripture, I remember praying a similar prayer as I was working in my mill crane one night. Just crying out to God and say, the only thing I'm asking from you in my life is understanding and discernment with regard to your word and its operation so that I can 
if you would have me to do it, instruct your people in the word of God. And I didn't realize that Solomon had asked practically the same thing for wisdom and understanding with regard to the principal opera- practical operation of the word of God so it can be applied in the lives of people. And you know, beloved, this thing blessed God so much. He was so happy that he just continued to pour out his great love and give Solomon even that much more. And you know what he did with it. He went in, in, in you know, just straight away from the things of God. He involved himself with all kinds of women and, and riotous living, you know, in that regard. And, and, and still God blessed him. Still God gave him. And I still believe, you know, when a person even strays away and, God, and goes back to God for forgiveness, God will still give forgiveness. I said God will still give forgiveness. That's just his nature. That's the way he is. He didn't tell me to, to forgive you 490 times in one day. 70 times 7. And then him hold it against me. Is he holding it against me? If I've missed the mark today, if I go and ask him to forgive me, will he? He better do it at least 490 times. Because he told me to forgive you 490 times. Right? Amen. And so you see, that's his, his nature. But you know the point we're trying to get to? Are you ready for this? I, I pray that you are. We're doing all this, yes, so that we can have a better understanding of how much He loves us and cares for us. But we're also going to get to the point that we see all that and then start loving each other the same way. Amen. Isn't that what He said? Yes. That you would love each other as I have loved you? Amen. That means I'm to continually lay down my life for you. That means you're to continually lay down your life for me. To love me, to forgive me, my faults, my shortcomings. Wrong scripture I gave you. (laughs) I don't do it often, but (laughs) I did it. (laughs) Can you see that? He wants us to understand his attitude towards us so that we can have a better understanding as to how we are to love each other. He wants us to love each other this way, beloved. To give ourselves, to lay down our lives for each other. If he's loving me like this and having mercy on me, shouldn't I have mercy on you then the same way? Under the merciful, he'll show himself merciful. Under the upright, he will show himself upright. Under the forward, he will show himself forward. I'm to forgive you the way he has forgiven me. And that leaves no room for unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment in the heart toward any. Amen. Amen. Do you see what that would do to relationships within the body of Christ? If we loved each other the way he loves us and if we gave to each other the way he has given himself to us? Absolutely. Well, we're not going to be able to conclude this, but um, I may pick it up here tonight. But what I want to close with then is this. In Matthew 23 and 37, if you wouldn't mind turning there for our closing scripture. Matthew 23 and 37. God stands before us with outstretched arms of invitation. His eyes are full of compassion and his whole being wants to bestow upon us unlimited blessings. And that's how he wants us to view him. Constantly desiring to bless us and be a blessing to us and to meet our every need, supply the energy 
every day, to supply, to supply the, this mental stability that we need every day, the strength that we need every day. Whatever ability we need every single day, God is saying, I am there with compassionate eyes of love towards you, longing to bless you with outstretched arms. That's my attitude toward you. And we see that here demonstrated and revealed by Jesus. Let's look at verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. In other words, I, I, I long to stand before you with open arms. I am not your enemy. He was crying out to Jerusalem and the Jewish people and the nation, the Israeli people. Oh, he is saying, how I have longed to bless you. How I have longed to take you under my wings. How I have longed to demonstrate the Father's love towards you. For you're His very own. The one He called out. The one He's in covenant with. Through Abraham. How I have longed to take you. And to demonstrate that love in a practical way. Now that I have visited you. In human form. But what does He conclude? But you would not. And what He means is. You wouldn't let me bless you. And I want to pick that up. How we can limit these blessings. Or unlimit. Have unlimited blessings in our lives. That's God's attitude towards you. And your attitude will determine whether or not His blessings are limited or unlimited in your life. And we'll pick that up probably tonight. Talk a little bit more about His giving out of James 1. And verse 17, that every gift, good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow or turning. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, You're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.